So I've entitled this section, we're going to finally finish up verse 13 through 13 today, and then, then after, the, <clears throat> after next week, Mike's going to give a Christmas message, of course, and then the following week, we're going to start back into verse 14, which is kind of a uh, uh, continuation, but it actually has a little bit different focus. So, um, so Paul comes at this question about um, the sin nature and the law just from so many different perspectives. So today's lesson, uh, I'm going to review a little bit, but then, then get into the uh, 12 and 13, really talks about the holiness of the law as contrasted with the, the awfulness, the utter sinfulness of the sin nature. So um, I keep updating this section a little bit each time. So these are definitions of the words that you have shown up, are showing up in chapter uh, 7. So um, one important one, of course, is uh, the sin or the sin nature, Adam's fallen nature. So I decided to just do a little count. If you count up in chapter 6, you'll see it occurs 15 times, 7, 12 times, and then it kind of trails off as we get into chapter 8, which you sort of expect that would happen. So the lion's share of Paul's teaching about man's fallen nature in Adam occurs in 6 and 7. Kind of different perspectives. Remember back in chapter 6 where we're freed from the sin nature. We've died to the sin nature. Uh, we've been separated from the sin nature. Now in 7, he's been focusing on the contrast between the sin nature and God's holy law and, and what, that, what that entails. And um, so, so that, I thought it was a little interesting going through and kind of tallying that up. And then also the, um, the law, the law of Moses is mentioned. And, and of course, Paul kind of zooms in here. The law of Moses, really, if you look at the totality, is the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. That, that comprises the law of Moses. But, but Paul immediately, as we go into these verses, especially starting with, um, uh, starting in verse 7 through, 11, through 13, he focuses on one particular law that kind of did him in, so to speak. This, was, this what is what really... Um, showed him the holiness of God's law and how it has an effect on his sin nature. And we see that that particular commandment is the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. And we saw that, you see that if you look in, the, in Exodus with the 10 commandments, you'll see that, um, I only quoted part of it here, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, and then so on, it continues on, the rest of your neighbor's belonging, belongings. And then, of course, Paul gives the abbreviated version, if you will, in the last part of uh, verse 7 where he says, you shall not covet, or literally, you shall not desire. And we you know, pointed out in weeks previous the fact that that really is uh, the commandment that speaks to a person's mind, specifically, how do you think? What do you think? Uh, how, what's your thought life, so to speak? And that's why it's so, so impactful. That why, that's why it impacted Paul, and that, that's why it impacts us as well. Uh, and then death uh, shows up quite a few times. And in, in the context, it means spiritual separation from God or loss of fellowship, if you will. And then we see a, kind of a new one that shows up this week is something called the good with a definite article. It's going to refer back to the commandments, I believe, or the, the commandment, the Tenth Commandment. Okay, with those in mind, then here's the only... Uh, I, I thought it would be worthwhile just kind of going through and showing you We'll look at 7 through 13. I'll kind of show you the transition between the law and how the law 
focuses in on the Tenth Commandment. So it starts out, as Jim read, the fact that the very last part says, <clears throat> For I, w I would have not um, have come to know about covening if the law had not said. And so now he has a general statement about the law, and then he says, This is a particular part of the law that, that caused me to covet. Thou shalt not covet. And then he takes that, and each successive verse, he's going to say, The commandment did something. And in 80 says, The commandment produced in me covening of every kind. Then in 9 he says, But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Then in 10, this commandment, still focused on thou shalt not covet, which was to result in life, proves to result in death for me. Then in 11, the commandment deceived me and it killed me. Then in 12, and so now he kind of switches gears. I mean, you know, you begin to think, well, Paul, you're just, you're hammering this 10th commandment. Is, is, it, is it bad? Is, is that a bad, is that a oops? God do an oops, as Courtney says sometimes. No, of course not. The commandment is just like the law. It's holy, righteous, and good. And then he finishes off the very last part. He talks about the fact that so that the commandment, uh, that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So, so we're going to trace through this, uh, review a little bit, and trace through down to 12 and 13. Okay. And now, uh, back, going back to Macaulay's outline of 7 through 13, um, the law is a teacher, but we're going to see, it, it, in Paul's case, it taught him through the commandment, through the thou shalt not covet. Via, so the te it's a teacher via the commandment. I have come to know thee sin through the commandment, thou shalt not covet. The law is an agitator. The commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. It's a terminator, and the way it did that, it, 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 he, di he died. He was separated from God because of, of what it said and what he didn't do. He coveted when it said, don't covet. He said, when the commandment came, I died. It resulted in death for me, and it killed me. And what I thought, and I mentioned last week too, the commandment killed all his hopes. It, it brought him to the end of himself. He could not... He could not see how he, and this is where he cries out in the last part, you know, who will deliver me? I can't do this, Lord. I can't live this life. I can't live and obey. Thou shalt not covet. I can't do it. It's impossible. And that's where we are too, mate. Lord, I can't do this. It has to be your life, your life in me that lives the Christian life. And then lastly, uh, the law is a revealer. It, it, bring, it brings light. It, it brought about light. And it's the idea, it, it shines a spotlight on the sin nature. It shows the utter sin, sinfulness of the sin nature. And as I mentioned before, I think that's one of, one of your, maybe at least my journey in the Christian life, is coming to realize the force of the sin nature in your life. First of all, that I have a sin nature. Step one, I have a sin nature. I just don't, I don't, I don't lose it when I become a Christian. I still have it. And that it impacts my Christian walk. And then what's God's solution for that sin nature? And that's what this is all about. Six, seven, and eight are all that journey through that path of, of man and his sin nature and, and what God has done about it. Okay, so now, so uh, a review here from last week. Okay, <clears throat> and there's a word that they didn't include in the translation. It kind of connects with the previous verse, with verse eight. And I once was alive, 
So the idea I, myself, was living to be alive, the course of life, the conduct of life, and this is in this um, tense, it's continuous action and pastime. So Paul talks about a time in his life, and it's, it's a real time, it happened in his life, it continuously happened in pastime. He says, Paul's speaking about how he was continually living in past times apart from the law. So even though, and I was kind of thinking, I was trying to think of the mechanics of this. So here's Paul, I, and he's come to tr trust Christ as his savior. I mean, he knew the law. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? But somehow, when he became a believer, somehow, I don't know, there was a period where this happened apparently. Uh, he was living apart from the law, separated from it. So Paul had apparently, in times past, not yet had the experience to know sin uh, via the law. And it's going to be via the commandment, via this commandment. So Paul, Paul's talking about his condition, not his position. This is, he's, he's living his Christian life, and he, the, God's word through the commandment is, is speaking to him, is convicting him. Paul didn't have a, apparently didn't have an awareness of this type of sin at this point in his life. And uh, Merriman says he had freedom from conviction in his conscience, basically. He wasn't being convicted. But that's going to change. That changes as he described what, what happens here in these verses. Then he says, but when the commandment came, or having come, having come so in the context, the commandment we know from verse 7 is, thou shalt not covet. Sin became alive, and I died. So, um, so the sinful nature, I like what we says, the sinful nature regained its strength and vigor, and I died. The sin nature is there. It's always there. It's, you know, does it, you know, that's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. You know, will the sin nature come alive? And, and God has remedies for that. Uh, became alive to be living again. It, you could say it sprang into activity. I told you about my, my, uh, my struggles with driving on the interstate. I don't think Ingrid was here. Driving the interstate and things happen there, right? And your sin nature just springs into action, just like that. <laughs> and, or I'm, I'm at a restaurant, and, you know, and the, the waitresses or waiter don't seat me where I want, and, you know, it springs into action there. Or a hundred other cases. So we, we all walk that walk and, and see that happen. So Paul was no different than us. I think here, here's a great apostle with all his understanding with being with the Lord. As his teacher personally, face to face, and, and he still struggled with this. Wow, amazing. And I died. So he didn't die physically, obviously. He, he, he realized his separ he was separated when he sinned. He, he realized he couldn't, he coveted and he shouldn't covet. Uh, he experienced separation from God. Okay, so that's verse 9. Verse 10, this commandment, this, this kind of commandment, thou shalt not covet from the context, which was result in life. The idea is toward life. And life here is, uh, is this word zoe. It's, it's life as God has it. It's God's life, you know, like in the, in the verse I mentioned last week too. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's, that's Zoe. That's life as God has it, not, not man's view of life. Man's, man says, I'm living a good life. You know, I, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm having all these wonderful things happen. Well, if it's 
Christ's life, that's wonderful. If it's not, then you're not really living true life. Uh, this is real life, and it's used for eternal life in Scripture. Uh, so uh, Merriman points out that this command was toward the highest form of life in contrast to bios, which is mentioned in the Scripture a few times in terms of physical life or physical existence. And it proved to result in death for me. And this is life found to be toward death. So the contrast here is toward life versus toward death. And death here is again separation from God. So the commandment, God's com commandments uh, promise, um, it's, his, it's his, his view on life. They promise life. But when I follow him, I found myself in the area of death. And, the, and Merriman had this, this statement, that, which I copied down, hopefully faithfully. Paul's former state, I like this, of happy innocence, I don't know how, <laughs> has given way to his realization of his actual position before God via the commandment. So this, this is something that happened to Paul in his Christian life, and he, and he uh, gave it to us in Romans chapter 7, a highly, you know, really unusual chapter in Scripture. Okay, so now he goes on in 11. It, it got even worse, right? It, it, so here, here's how. The sin nature was responsible, I, call, I say, two catastrophic results in his life. The first one, for the, the sin nature deceived me, or it beguiled me. And the idea is to, um, to deceive completely, to beguile, to, to lead out of a, the right way into the wrong way. And it's, a, it's in the aorist tense, so it's a, it happened at a point in time. He was led out of the, in the right way to the wrong way. And what's really interesting is this is the same word that, um, <clears throat> that describes how Eve was deceived. And I, kinda, I was kind of thinking about this. I'm, I'm not trying to be a, uh, a, a sexist or anything. I, I'm not trying to be a... But it's interesting is that here we have Eve. She was deceived in the same way that the Apostle Paul was deceived. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Paul's learning his abilities. It's like he's way up here. And Eve is down here. I mean, you know, sort of. But they're both deceived the same way. They both were, were deceived. I thought it was really interesting. You know, man is man, and woman is woman. I mean, mankind is all the same. There's no difference. They all have sin natures. They all need a Savior, and they are deceived in similar ways. And here's a verse that talks about that. <clears throat> but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve in his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So pretty, pretty amazing uh, comparison here between how Paul was deceived... Uh, and, and, he, and we're going to find out what deceived him, right? It's his sin nature that deceived him. That's what deceived him. And the second part is it killed him. For the sin nature uh, killed me through the commandment. So here we have, I mentioned before, here's God's holy and righteous law, perfect in every aspect, and it comes up against man's sin nature, and there's, something has to happen. <laughs> something has to, and something did happen. And that's, and that's God's desire. Something does happen when, when that comparison is made. Killed me, the idea is, it's a metaphor, certainly. Spiritual separation from God. And again, aorist tense, so it, it, it's a, an event in Paul's life. 
And then the, and then the middle part of the verse, I kind of covered the, you know, the beginning and the end of the verse. The middle part of the verse kind of tells us how this happened. And it's just kind of very colorful phraseology. For the sin taking an opportunity through the commandment. It's sort of like the sin nature's lying in wait, ready to pounce, right? So <laughs> pounce. As soon as you, it's going to do it. And that's the and that's the picture. There's these two words that they were used back in verse eight uh, to to lay hold of, to take, and then this word that um, talks about a starting point or a base of operations. It, it's it's the the launching pad, if you will. Uh, the commandment was the launching pad for the sin nature. When that holy commandment came up and impacted Paul's life, thou shalt not covet, that was it. He realized he couldn't, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't do it. And that's a good thing. And that's, that's what God desires. He, des he desires that man come to realize that he cannot live a life that pleases him without Christ living his life through you. It's impossible. So here's some more thoughts. These are from Merriman. Uh, Paul expected one thing out of the commandments. Yeah, you know, as a Pharisee, wouldn't he expect only good things to happen? I study God's law. Shouldn't good things happen? Well, no. My mind, I start going you know, bonkers in my mind. I, I covet even more. It gets even worse. Paul expected life by obeying the commandments, but he found himself in death or separation from God. God did not give the law to deceive Paul. This, you know, the sin, it is a sin nature that caused the law to be deceptive, not, not the law. It's the sin nature that deceived Paul, not the law. So we see that, that theme coming over. It, it comes back when, when everything else is said and done, every path you take, every logic you go through, it comes back. It can't be God. It has to be, it has to be you. Okay, so today... Uh, 12 says, so then <clears throat> the law is holy. The command, remember, look, look again, it's, it's, it's the singular, it's not all the commandments, it's the, that one commandment, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Therefore, that which is good became a cause uh, of death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin will become utterly sinful. I found this verse, you know, it's kind of a word puzzle, if you will. Hopefully we can, we can sort that out. So actually I relied upon a couple of different approaches here. So let's, let's here we go. So the law is, first, this is, this is the easy one. So the law is holy. <clears throat> so this is the, so his conclusion is, it's my sin nature. The law's got to be holy. The conclusion is, so the, the law. So Paul, uh, he actually, there's two conclusions if you look carefully here. He says the law is holy, and then he says this commandment that's just raking me over the coals, it's holy too. Both, both God's entire law is holy, and this commandment that, that I'm struggling with, it's holy too. Thou shalt not covet. The law is holy, Hagios means morally pure, upright, blameless. And, and what's cool is, Mike's going to cover this in a couple weeks, um, we see that the, the law is not only holy, but it's good. The law is good. Confessing that the law is good in, in, in Romans uh, 7.16. So the law is holy and it's good. Good is the idea of um, 
quality is good as quality and character uh, by implication, choice and excellence. And I was thinking about the, uh, the fact that um, someone asked, um, Christ was speaking and he said, basically, only God is good. The source of true goodness is only God. Only God is good. So the law is not only holy, but it's good. And Constable says it's good because of its purpose to produce blessing and life. That's really good. Okay, so now, and so now the law is holy, so now he's going to make sure, he doesn't want to make sure that because he struggles so much with this one commandment, he had to, he had to testify in a way that God is true to what he is. He, he doesn't have lesser things about his law that aren't at the same level. So then he says, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The commandment is, uh, and again, it's, it's you shall not covet. Since the commandment is a subset of the law, you would expect that it has identical characteristics, and that's exactly what he says. The commandment is a direct application of the law. So it's holy, righteous, and good. We've covered most of these words already, except for righteous. So hagios again, morally pure, upright, blameless, righteous, uh, just, without prejudice or partiality, and then good, the same, same word as before, good, excellent choice, uh, good as quality and character. So uh, it's kind of interesting, Consul had this thing, so the mark of a saint is that he upholds uphold God and condemns himself. So Paul basically said, God can't be unfaith, he can't be unholy, it has to be me, I have to be the source, it can't be God. God's word is a reflection of his character, it can't be, it has to be holy, so I have to be the one that has the problem. Okay, so now 13. So 13 starts off, you know, this is a very typical thing for Paul, he starts off with this thing, um, you know, therefore that which is good became a cause of death for me, so he poses a question, and then he answers the question. He gives his short answer, if you will. He, and I like to say his gut response, may it never be, you know, God forbid in some translations. So, so I, I took the interlinear here because I, it, it helped me kind of point out the, a couple words here. So the interlinear says, for the first part of that up to the question mark, says, then the good to me became death. A little bit simpler phraseology, then the good to me became death. Okay? So the good in the context, that's why I gave a definition earlier. If you look at the good in the context, has to be, we go back, what is good, right? It's got to be the commandment. You could say it's the law, possibly, but I think it's the commandment. So the commandment is good. It became, genome, genomai, to come into a new state of being. So the commandment, which is holy, righteous, and good, became death, spiritual separation from God. So here's going to be another conundrum, if you will. He's going to say, well, this does, how can the commandment, how can I be separated? From, why is it causing me to be separated from God? So this is Paul's rhetorical question, and his answer is, may it never be away with the thought, God forbid, so as I say, God's, uh, God, uh, Paul's gut reaction is, uh, that's, uh, it can't be, it's impossible. You, can't, you know, uh, bad can't come from good. Okay, uh, but, he said, but what he's gonna give, as he always does, he'll give a detailed explanation of why that's his answer. 
Okay, so it says, <clears throat> rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. So I highlighted the it was, that's it, been supplied, that's a verb there. So the, the first little sentence there in that after the exclamation point may it never be is, rather, it was sin. And it actually has the definite article again, so it, rather, it was the sin, the sin nature. So the cause of death Paul says, right out of the chute, so to speak, the cause of death was the sin nature. That was the cause. That's, that caused my separation, my spiritual separation. Rather is a strong contrast. Um, uh, it means strong contrast. And then we have a couple of, in this, in this verse, the rest of the verse, we have a couple of, of um, clauses. Uh, and there, there are these clauses that, uh, it starts with in order that or so that. So it says, in order that it might be shown to be sin. And that's modifying, both these modify it was. In order that it was, so it tells us the purpose, that it, the sin nature, might be shown to be brought forth, to bring to light. And this is, again, a, a fact. It happened. Uh, it might be shown to be sin. And this time it means the what was responsible for the sin? It was the sin nature was responsible for the sin. Not the, not the law. That's what Constable says. The responsibility for death belongs to, to sin and not to the law. So Paul kind of goes around the block, makes another argument, and comes back to the same conclusion. It's, a, it's the same sin nature with another line of thought. And he has a couple, one more line of thought in this verse. Okay. <clears throat> By affecting my death through that which is good. So interlinear has it here, by the working death to me through the good. And that's why I kind of like this interlinear because it had the definite article there. I can show you that. Through the good. And it's working to work out, to achieve, to toil, uh, death or separation. Dia, by means of the good, the commandment. So this is at the heart of Paul's question. Can the good issue evil? And that's why he's struggling. Good... It can't be. Good can't produce evil. It can't. Okay. So I'll continue. So then the next, the last part, the last modifying phrase here, so that, so that through the commandment, sin will become utter, utterly sinful. Another introductory of, of the a conditional purpose here, so that by means of the commandment, you shall not covet. Again, it's the sin nature would become, come into this new state of being, come exceedingly sinful. So you could say, so Paul's desire, uh, Paul's desire by, by going through this logic here is that the sin nature would be shown for what it really is, utterly sinful. And if you recognize uh, that verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, most of you may have it memorized, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So <clears throat> he, he, he nails it down. It's, it's got to be the sin, nat the sin nature is the cause. It can't be God. It can't be his law. It can't be his commandments. Okay. So to kind of sum up those thoughts, the law and the commandments are just like the God who gave them. They reflect his essence. Who he, that's who God is. God's law, what, he, what God has said in his law reflect who he is. 
That's how he's communicated to us. The law and the commandment are perfect for what he wanted them to accomplish. God has a purpose in everything he does. He, did, he wasn't caught by surprise that Paul struggled with the, the 10th commandment. That wasn't an, uh, whoops, <laughs> Paul, you shouldn't have done that. I taught you better. Didn't you learn the three years I was with you? Didn't you learn? What I no, he wasn't surprised by that. They make all mankind realize they are sinners. Paul's question, can good issue or cause evil? But the evil is the sin nature, not the law and the commandment. The law and the commandment were given so that the exceeding sinfulness of the sin nature might be seen. Just read that again, the last, last bullet there. The law and commandment were given so that the exceeding sinfulness of the sin nature might be seen. And these, these are from Merriman. So pretty, uh, uh, pretty interesting things. And Paul's going to keep going here. He hasn't finished. <laughs> this isn't the end of it. But uh, Okay, so let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, the, just the in, incredible uh, grace that you provided for us, Lord, and the, the, your, your holiness, that you're a holy God and everything about you is holy. Everything in your word that has come from you is holy, righteous, and good. And it reflects who you are. And it also shows us that our need for a savior, our need that we are, we're a fallen creature, that we have Adam's nature, and that we need your life to, to live a life that's pleasing to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.